with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning, Trudy Clausen here, and, and uh, really glad to have as my guest today, Councillor Josh Seymour from the Clayley Today. Welcome, Josh. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, so uh, let's just get started. Uh, Josh, who are you? How did you come to be a councillor? And uh, give us a little bit of your story and your background. Oh, geez. Um, the first time I ran for council, um, I was 19, and I was unsuccessful, which, I mean, that wasn't going to stop me. Um, and then when I turned 21, I ran again for council, and I was successful in that term. Um, and at the same time, I had my son, who was just born um, in 2010, and uh, that really made a lot of the connections that kind of put me on the path where I am today. Um, one of them, after my term, my two-year term, uh, after I was 21, was um, it came it came uh, to fruition that I would meet the people who would help bring the Winter Games to the city, the 2010 or 2015 uh, Canada Winter Games. And uh, it was those contacts that I made during my term as a counselor that kind of started that ball rolling. And the 2015 Canadian Winter Games were one of the, um, I guess, the biggest um, platforms that gave Clately um, a spotlight so that people would understand the territory they're on. Um, and I honestly believe the 2015 was the first true steps towards reconciliation because Clayton today was the uh, official host first nation, yes. which was um, nothing had that had never been done in the history of the winter. Yeah, we Games. all learned how to say Clayton today. Exactly, and everybody started realizing who Clayton today was. Yeah, so it was really the 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 foundation was laid during the twenty ten Olympics in Vancouver with the um, with the host four nations. Um, and we kind of took that platform here and ran with it. And I think that's what elevated Clayton today to where we are today. Okay. So, okay. Just, but to go back. So you started running for off, like, so you were born here yes. or, uh, like I'm assuming Prince George hospital. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, uh, you ran for counselor first time in the, uh, for Clayton today when you were 19, yeah. didn't get in, but that didn't stop you. But what was it that made you run? Uh, I even as a youth, I would always look at the things that needed to be fixed around me, and rather than just point out things that I saw that needed to be fixed, um, I started to think of solutions because it's a lot easier when you go to someone and say, "Hey, if we do this to fix this, it makes things a lot easier than saying, "Hey, this is broken." Yeah. So okay. that was my my push was I, I saw a need and a way to fill it. Hmm. Okay. So. Um and then you, so this is your first term or your second term? Uh, third. Third. Yeah. Third. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So is that your, your day job? Is that the only thing you do or do you also work at something else? Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, the assistant curator for uh, indigenous content at the Exploration Place Museum. Um, and uh, that is one of the uh, strongest relationships that Clay Lee today yes. has. Yeah. Um, they were one of our very first partners that go back to the 90s. Yes. When my uh, my uncle Ronnie, who I learned a lot of information about our people from, um, built those relationships and shared that information with um, with the people at the museum. And uh, the the thing I, I I always take away when I meet people is with my uh, my uncle Ronnie. He would sit there and he would listen to the people talk and he would listen to them discuss ideas and listen to them. Um, Basically, if it was an argument going back and forth yep. in the community, he wouldn't say nothing. He would let them talk. 
and he would observe both sides. And then when they're finished talking, he would come in and say one sentence that would clear everything up. He had a, a special gift to, to finish um, whatever was being talked about and, and the cleanest and, and most gentle way possible. Oh my goodness. I mean, that is an amazing skill. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, so whenever I try to look at the challenges that we face and, and the goals that I want to do, I always try to take that step back and remove myself to see what is the actual problem and how do we fix that? And give people a chance to say what they think without being, I mean, because I think that's, that's actually a really important thing, especially today. I mean, when we're so polarized, right? Yeah. And it seems that everybody's just sitting in on the thing that is the most contentious of their things that they want done. And they're just honking that horn. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Is that really the most important thing? Or is it like, can come on, we've, we've got to have common ground here. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and the thing I liked about the, um, his approach was it, it created this air of respect that everybody understood. Yeah. And it kind of grounded everybody back to where they were, but it also gave them that platform that they needed to make sure that they were heard. So what, what motivated him and what was his story? Oh, um, it's, I, I, I'm not too sure. Um, a lot of the stuff, and, and it's funny cause now that I think back to the elders in my community, so my grandfather, um, my uncle Ronnie and my, my auntie Violet, who, um, who I've learned a lot of my and I think culture I've met from. Violet. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So she's at the, uh, the fire pit as the elder there. Um, is that when they teach you something, they don't say, Hey, I'm going to teach you how to do this. You, you somehow learn what they're teaching and you learn that cultural aspect by, by partaking in it. Yeah. But you don't realize that you're doing it until way later. Yeah. So when, when uncle Ronnie was, um, when he was, uh, basically helping guide the community, um, it took me a long time to figure out how he did it. But he, I mean, I'm assuming that at that time, that was a little bit out of the box yeah. for him to, because he began that relationship with Exploration Place. Yeah. And was was Tracy Calajeros there already then? Uh, I, I believe she was just starting her career Just starting, there, yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, I found that uh, just the little bit that I know about Tracy and her career at Exploration Place is that because she's not a... Um, I think she like she's she hasn't come to running a museum from the usual channels. She's more yeah. just a gra- uh, grassroots kind of person, and so that would have been that's part probably part of the reason why Exploration Place is so so unique. Yeah. But also gave that opportunity because Tracy was new, and then your your uncle there. Yeah. So what do you do? You have any knowledge about what made him take that risk? Because it is a risk, right? The the one thing that I I've come to learn about my uncle Ronnie is that he had the the gift of foresight. He saw things before they happened, not in a like a magical sense. Way, yeah. he, he understood again stepping back and um and one of those things um one of the things that he brought up to me that really stuck with me is when I was about thirteen. Um, we're talking, and uh, this is during the treaty process. So the community took a unique approach to treaty as well as we negotiated it as a community. So the community had family representatives that would come and discuss on their behalf um, the, the treaty process. And it would get contentious in there, and people would be angry because this is our future. Yeah. Um, and again, Uncle Ronnie would sit back and, you know, let people say what they need to say, get an idea of what they needed, and found that common ground to be able to connect everybody in a gentle way. But he told me, he goes, two things are going to happen um, in the next 30 years. He goes, you're going to see 
there are going to be a lot of opportunities for indigenous people and there's going to be a lot of scholarships for post-secondary because what's happening is the the um, baby boomer boomer generation is uh, retiring yes and there's only one population that can fill that that's growing and that's indigenous people and he said if if people were wanted to plan for the future they would start focusing on indigenous education now and this was when i was 13 so Mm. i'm 34 now um so you had that foresight of understanding that looking at the common problem that's facing us as a as a country as a province as a city as a region um there there is a solution so he found the easy solution and he said you you should be ready to take uh, on all opportunities that come your way because you'll have a lot more opportunities than we did and you won't have as much opportunity as your children he goes so make sure that you understand that as we go forward in this world we are going to have a, a platform that we've never seen before, which we do today. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And so I'm assuming, like, your Uncle Ronnie has passed on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was uh, that was my grandfather's brother. Your, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, so he was like a, your great uncle. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. And and so what was his... Uh, was he born here as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, all of my uh, great uncles and aunties on my grandfather's side were born in the territory. Okay. Okay, I mean, and I know that, I mean, that's certainly part yeah. of what makes you clearly today. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, wow, so you're, so that was your your grandfather's brother, you said, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, so w- did they live here when, gosh, I'm just trying to think, no, they wouldn't have been here. So it would have been your great-great-grandfather that was here when when the railway came through, correct? Um, yeah, yeah, great-great or great-great-great. Yes, um, one of the issues that we look at during that time period is with the point of contact, there was also a lot of new diseases. Um, like Clayton Tanay actually has four clans that would have, um, each, each clan would have had their own uh, KO uh, within the territory. But one of those clans had actually been wiped out during the pandemic. So a quarter of the Clayton Nation was wiped out during one of the uh, sicknesses. And we don't know which one it is. Okay. Okay. Be just and partly just because of the chaos of the time. Yeah. yeah. So, so would that have been the like the nineteen eighteen like the Spanish flu or would it have been no that would have been before maybe even earlier hey yeah yeah well I mean and and where Clayton situated with um, basically the confluence of you know the the old trading trails as well as the rivers um, we we had a lot of points of contact with a lot of um, settlers and yes. you know the, the the colonizers that did come through here and that put us at a um a danger a risk yeah because of uh the diseases that we were not in contact with no so uh with the four clans that we have we have the frog the the caribou grouse beaver and then um we've adopted the bear clan as one of ours because of our cousin nations um have a bear clan but that fourth clan was actually wiped out so we don't know what it was Um, and and we've been hit with you know smallpox yeah. numerous times tuberculosis numerous yeah. times uh, the Spanish flu yeah um, and uh, because it goes up through the Fraser then it comes back down yes. then it goes up in the Chaco then it comes back down so yeah. all those points of contact were um, basically what brought Clayton Tanay to the brink of extinction almost yeah um, so there wasn't a lot of people left that were here prior to contact yeah. Um, 
so after the uh, the sicknesses came through and a lot of people were basically just trying to survive, then you look at the um, like the Indian Act, right? Yeah. That states, yeah. oh, if if a, if a woman didn't marry an indigenous man, she lost her right. status, right? And so that further reduced the population. Exactly. Yes. So now it's it's looking at um, we're at a weird point in our history right now because clearly today has uh, over six hundred members, um, whereas if you look back in the nineties, the there's less than a hundred of us. Uh, so it's it's we're at a point now where Clayton A does have the, um, the the population, I guess, to really bring back the culture. But we're saving those shreds that had survived those sicknesses, that had survived those um, systematic processes that were put into oppress those um, culture and language and spirituality. Yeah. So the um, um, I was just thinking. Just when you were talking about the sicknesses coming through, and I, and and you were talking about the contact and people coming up and down the Fraser and the mm-hmm. Chaco and everything, and how that would have spread everything, right? Mm-hmm. And just talk, thinking about, uh, I think it was, gosh, maybe three, four, six months ago that Bonnie Henry, Dr. Bonnie Henry was saying that one of the reasons that we're seeing surges in various kinds of flus and all of that kind of stuff is because for two years we didn't travel. Yeah. And so, it, like, to me that just makes perfect sense, right? Like, we're sort of, I mean, it's certainly less impact now mm-hmm. uh, and, and the but but it, it's sort of the same kind of idea when you don't when if you haven't had contact with a disease you are less you are more susceptible to it and yeah. and that's sort of what happened well, and, and and the fact that for the last two years we you know sanitized yeah wore masks we kept our distances so yeah. even the common cold now which has changed a bit you know people used to be sick for a week now they're you know, bedridden for three days because their body's fighting it off. Yeah. And that's only two years of not... I know. So can you imagine having a whole history of no contact? Yeah. Yeah, that is crazy. Okay, well, it is time for a break, so we'll be back after this. Tune in on Sunday mornings at 8.30 for a Let the Bible Speak radio broadcast. This is Pastor Andrew Simpson, and each week on our program we will hear Christ Jesus being preached, gospel hymns being sung, and encouraging news from our churches in British Columbia. Our goal at Let the Bible Speak is to preach Christ in all his fullness to man in all his need. So tune in on Sunday mornings at 8.30 for Let the Bible Speak only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. If you're totally out of shape, Trainer Kim's has a new fitness class just for you. Created for anyone new or returning to fitness after an extended period, Fitness 101 features slow-paced workouts allowing for proper instruction and form. Breaks are given for recovery and all exercises can be modified to meet every ability. If you are ready to take this first step towards a stronger, healthier body, Contact Trainer Kim today by emailing trainer underscore Kim at hotmail.com. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today. Wind from the southeast at 30, gusting to 50 and a high of 10. Tonight, mainly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers this evening. Gusting southeast winds continuing, a low of 5. For Friday, mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of showers in the afternoon and the risk of a thunderstorm. Wind from the southeast switching to the southwest in the afternoon and a high of 11. 
featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, Trudy Clausen back with Josh Seymour, counselor for Clay and assistant curator for Exploration Place. So um, maybe get back to your political career. You... Um, so you, okay, so you saw problems and you thought, okay, I, I want to help fix it because that's sort of that's been your passion all your life. So what's the what was sort of what's something that you've been particularly proud of that you've actually been able to accomplish during your term as counselor? Uh, I would say the the education, uh, the education aspect of what we're seeing in School District Fifty Seven. Um, a lot of the time, local content had been overlooked so if you looked in a book for any type of edu- indigenous education um it was always a lot of the uh, the fur trade was like the main component and also some of the um the issues they had back east but nothing local yeah. so even within the schools a lot of the people mm-hmm. didn't even see that they had um a first nation that was that was um local yeah yeah, yeah. and and people <clears throat> you know when, when it takes a a countrywide event to to teach everybody the 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 name Clayley Tanay, um, that that recognition right is uh, is is something that I want to push forward. But also, I want our history and our culture to be intertwined with um, the history and culture of today. Um, when when we have silos of education, if you have you know indigenous history and, and and culture, and then you have the rest of the educational system, you have an issue. What you have to do is you have to interweave them. So um, when we look at things like sciences and, and, and language arts, um, it's a lot better to have that indigenous lens tied into the the curriculum um, because it, it offers another worldview. Um, and, and I actually worked in the education system for five years, and I always had to tell myself is it's not my job to teach the students. It's my job to meet the students where they learn. And, and change that approach of how we share that education um, with the students. Mm-hmm. So I, I think one of the, the the achievements that I'm I'm very proud of is actually the coalition uh, between McLeod Lake uh, Indian Band and Clayley Tanay um, to to give that indigenous guidance to the school district, um, and then also to look at how do we help all of not just the indigenous learners but all of the learners. Um, within school district 57 because again it is a partnership um, when we look at things where we want to reconcile um, it's not one group doing all the work it's it's a partnership between the two um, it's like healing it's a it's a partnership between two people to fix what's going on uh, and i think that's what we have focused a lot of our energy on is how do we find that common ground there's a mm-hmm. the uncle ronnie's teaching again how do we find that common ground between two groups that have never really worked together? And um, that's been the, the the approach. The Indigenous Education Leadership Table, um, I think, is one of the first tables like that for a school district. And, and I, I think that'd be important to have throughout other systems. Mm-hmm. So... Um so what does the education table do? Do do they provide curriculum or develop curriculum or do they, uh, because I mean, like you're talking here about integrating it into sort of to, to broaden the general knowledge, right? So what are sort of the, the things that students will be seeing from that? Um, I think one of the things that we see with the indigenous education leadership table is that, that guiding light, um, 
because when we say we want to reconcile, but there's no path to take, um, it's good to go hand in hand with the group because we've never actually taken this path either. That's right. Yeah. And, and understanding that reconciliation isn't the goal. Um, truth, justice, and accountability are the goals. Reconciliation is the result of those um, three goals. And, and understanding that even in the education system, we are looking at a... Um, the burden of the proof is always on the people who are challenging mainstream ideas. Yes. So when it comes to... Bringing, <laughs> no matter where you are. <laughs> exactly, right? So when it comes to bringing indigenous content, indigenous knowledge and history and local content and history, um, the burden of the proof is on the people who have lived it. Yeah. So now we're looking at how do we combine a system that was oral compared to a system that's yes. written. Yeah. And, and we have to find that common ground where we can utilize what we both know in a way that is going to to impact the children's education in a healthy way um, because in the end if, if if it's not for the students we're in it for the wrong reasons mm-hmm. so my um, one of the one of my passions has always I mean I, I love love history um, and so is that part of what you're doing in terms of um, enriching the curriculum providing more context providing more stories or how does that how does that work yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the Cleetly history is, has been such a, a quiet, um, a quiet subject, uh, mostly because a lot of the history begins when the um, when the first, uh, like when the voyeurs came over. Yes. Right. For some reason, uh, our history didn't begin until we were quote unquote discovered. Disco- yeah, I know. Uh, and it's like, wait a minute, we were here a long time. <laughs> so there, there's, uh, you know, we have lithic evidence that ties to the last ice age in the region. Um, and- so I'm, I'm going to ask you, I've, I've heard Darlene McIntosh, Elder, Elder McIntosh say that a number of times. And it's like, okay, what's lithic? And I've never looked it up. Yeah, yeah. So I'm embarrassed. But no, so no, what does it mean, lithic evidence? Uh, lithic evidence is basically like the, the the tools that would have been used. So oh, okay. a lot of the stone flakes, a lot of the arrowheads and adzes. Right. So every um, time they discover one of those. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's a lithic. Okay. Now, um, a lot of the places that we've looked were, you know, along like riverbeds, right? The yeah. Simon Fraser Bridge was actually one of the um, biggest spots that we found in the territory that had a lot of the lithic evidence back when they were building um, the second portion of the bridge. Yes. And, and it, so, so I hear elders always talk about um, they have a theory that you're only going to find nine thousand year old lithic evidence near the river because ten thousand years ago. This whole region was a lake. So if you want to find lithic evidence that are older than that, you'd have to go higher into the hills because this would have been flooded during the Ice Age. Huh. Right. So that so I started looking at that because for some reason, 9,000 years ago, we just kind of popped up. But that's yeah. only because of where we're searching and where we're looking. Right. So I think right. if we were to start developing in higher grounds, you may come across older um, lithic evidence or, or, you know, a lot of tools that the ancestors would have used. So I don't believe we've been here for 9,000 years. I think it's it's got to be longer. Well, yeah, because like you said, it's unlikely that you would have just popped up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's kind of how it goes, right? Yeah. Wow. I remember, I mean, I grew up in northern Alberta mm. in an area where I don't think there were any First Nations that, like within probably... Gosh, I mean that was it was it was an area that was settled in the '60s, early '60s, yeah. but it had been burned over twice, just uh, from in, I think in the preceding 30 years. So twice it had been completely burned out, and so. Um, but I remember often wandering in the woods and hoping that I would find an arrowhead. But either 
but I never did. Yeah. <laughs> I probably would have had to dig for it or something. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and looking at those um, the evidence, a lot of people don't even know what they're looking for. No, I. You know so, who knows? Well, I mean, and then there's so many times where. Um, like I, I always wondered if people are like, "Oh, that's a cool looking stone." Mm-hmm. I always wonder if that was like a like a, a lithic evidence because it just didn't look natural. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, it is time for our break. I'm talking with Josh Seymour, and we'll be back after this. You are the key to helping the David Foster Foundation during National Organ and Tissue Donation Awareness Month. Canada records one of the worst donation registration rates in the world, but you can change that. One organ donor can save up to eight lives and improve the quality of life for up to 75 people. Discover the multiple ways you can support the David Foster Foundation during National Donation Awareness Month and all year by visiting davidfosterfoundation.com. Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our Leaders in Business program combines leadership training with one-on-one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at pivotleader.com. Pivot Leader will help you grow, train, and sell your business. Sponsored by the Canadian Home Builders, the 2023 Northern BC Home and Garden Show is coming April 21st, 22nd, and 23rd to Exhibition Park. Events and resources all brought together in one place to learn tips and trade secrets for safe, healthy, maintained, and enjoyable living spaces in and around your home. More information and advanced tickets for just $5 each are available online at chbahomeshow.ca. The Northern BC Home and Garden Show, April 21st through 23rd at Exhibition Park. If you're a student between the ages of 7 and 18 who needs a little help with homework, the Saturday Study Hall at the downtown branch of the Prince George Public Library may be just what you need. Every Saturday between 10.30 and 4.30, you can bring your schoolwork and get help from their tutor or your peers. It's a free drop-in event for students, but you are advised to check the website at pgpl.ca for which Saturdays the Study Hall will be in session. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, back, uh, Trudy Clausen, back with Josh Seymour uh, of the Claytonay. So uh, we've been talking a little bit um, just before we took our break about uh, the lithic evidence, which is like the stone, finding stones that are carved into arrowheads, right? Yes. And finding those by the river, and you saying that, you know, if we went further up, uh, there would probably be, be even older evidence, but um, that's that story. Uh, I mean, arrowheads. Um, do you? I mean, and nine thousand years ago. So, I mean, uh, some of those legends around that time. Like, does does the community still retain some of those? Like, are there still some of those stories from way, 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 way back? Uh, there, there are some stories, but the um, the amount of stories that we did have would have been astronomical. Yes, um, I think one of the most interesting stories that mm-hmm. I, I think of that ties to history would be the um, Connaught Hill. So Connaught Hill um, is a part of one of our stories where it was actually a a giant beaver dam, um, and and when I think of why it would have been called a giant beaver dam, I think of the um, the uh, 
the the glacier lake that used to yes, be here. Yeah. And this would have been filled with water. Yeah. And where we are. that hill would have been yeah. sticking out. And it would have like looked, a beaver dam. Yeah, it would have looked like a beaver dam. Yeah. So, so having those ties within looking at the oral history and tying it to something scientific, um, I think that's the, the platform and that, that medium that we need to reach to make indigenous education and, and, and the education that we see in the school system right now more obtainable because you can actually tie it. Um, to a specific time. So, what is what would have been the clearly word for Connaught Hill then? Oh, um, do you know? I don't. I don't. And I ask people about this legend because I've heard it once uh, when I was younger. And uh, a lot of people have a piece of a story here and a piece of a story there, but it's very difficult to tie it all together. Yeah. Well, and I just know even from my own history, uh, you know, like my mom was just here visiting for three weeks, and uh, we love to play games, and so we did an awful lot of that, and. And sort of when she left, it was like, oh, man, we should have talked about this. We should have talked about this. Because it's hard to be purposeful about collecting those stories. Because, like, we did have a few conversations, but they were sort of while we were driving. And it was like, I didn't write that down. I should have. Because you, in some of those, like, you can't, you can't force the story to be told. Because you, it, it requires that awakening of memory, right? right? Yeah, and, and it, it, it requires that, that. Optimate, you know, the, the optimal opportunity to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, and that it's funny that you say it's when you're driving or, uh, because a lot of the stories I learned happened when our hands were full. So if we were, um, yes. you know, if we're cooking for, uh, yeah. a, a community dinner exactly. or picking berries, they would just begin talking and, exactly. uh, you know, yeah, I and hear the stories. And that's, I think that's, uh, a, a learning aspect that we have forgotten is that we wouldn't have just sat down and told stories or talked. Yeah. Okay, now it's story time. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. your hands were busy, and that yeah. was a way to, to fill that time. But that, that becomes, it becomes an effort effortlessly way to learn it does. Uh, the history. Yeah. It does, totally. But in order to disseminate that into today's culture, you almost need to have that written in a book, right? Yeah. Or on a podcast or something. And it's like, and so you have to be really purposeful about that. Is any of that work being done by anyone trying to collect those stories or... Uh, yeah, yeah. There, there are a lot of stories that, but but each story is different per nation. Um, mm-hmm. And I found that out when I was trying to find creation stories. So each nation within the Dekalth people, which are Dekalth means the people who move along the water. Okay. So Clately would be one of the Dekalth um, nations. Is that the creation story ties to their territory? So each territory that we have, they have different stories for um, for how they came to be. Okay. Yeah. Oh wow. So it's um. Like even the word Clately Tene, Clately means uh, the confluence of the two rivers, and Tene means the people of. Yeah. So by incorporating that that name that we have and that identity for ourselves, um, it, it was a big move that Clately did that was towards our own reconciliation. Um, because before we were called Clately Tene, we we're actually known as the Clately Ten, which was a different dialect. So it was a name that was um, from a different dialect, and before that, we were known as the Fort George Indian Band. So the when we look at teachings and learnings, the the word Clately Tanay came from understanding who we are in the territory and, and what represents us. So when we talk about how do we share those stories, um, the elders learn the same way I learned from the elders is by keeping your hands busy and just having yes. these conversations. Yes. Now, um, I know, uh, Ted Benema up from UNBC. He teaches history there and I, and I actually spent, um, well, this, I think it was the first winter of the pandemic. I did, I transcribed a lot of the Hudson's Bay journals, mm. uh, like that are hand, like written in cursive yeah. and 
typing them into a computer so that they're searchable and well and and in today's world when you know a lot of kids don't learn cursive writing so then they can actually read it um but that was just a fascinating process and um ted i heard him talk um a little while ago and he was saying that from the downtown core and this is just back to this like what you know the stories that are out there or that need to be told i think he said there would have there would have been about nine villages and i'm not sure if villages is the right word within walking distance and so is that something that you know anything about yeah, I, I think what you're discussing is actually the KOs. So okay. um, the territory would have been divided up into KOs, which KO means like our home. And then within that, those uh, clan KOs would have been the KOs within the clan. So each family would have had a section of the territory. Okay, wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. KO is home. Yeah, that's like the word for home. Okay, um, so I live in a home. Yeah. Okay, so, and then... Expand on that further. So from my so, home. So looking at, so looking at Clately Tanay as a, a, um, a nation is kind okay. of like looking at Canada. Okay. And then you look at the clans that we have within Clately Tanay, it'd be looking at the provinces and then looking at the KOs, which belong to the families and, and, and which are now known as trap lines today, um, would have been like the municipals and regions of each. Oh, okay. okay. So it was a very, um, complex system. Yep. But that's a system that we never learned about in the schools. No. Um, it's almost like we we came with the uh, fur trade. We just yeah. kind of popped up and <laughs> you know started trading for furs. Right. Uh, so understanding that there is a very complex um, uh, culture, a very complex uh, you know leadership structure, uh, a complex society is a, is a, I think is a something that we need to bring to the school districts and the and the students to learn. Well, and I think I think just the fact that you've got the lithic evidence placing you here 9,000 years. I think you'd have to understand that there's no way you could survive that long without having quite a complex system, yeah, yeah. right? Because uh, just one family living out in the, in the wilderness would not have survived that long <laughs> yeah. without and, and, something. And having that structure so that we rely on one another is the reason why the nations have survived. Mm-hmm. Um, it was never an independent nation. It was always a, a coalition of nations who worked together to survive. And really, if you think of, if you want to, expand that i mean it's really not that different from today yeah because we still depend we trade with each other in the same way i mean it like i mean some of the me- i mean of course the, the methods are different but it's, it's not that un- it's not that strange really yeah yeah. the ideology is still the same yep yeah, and yeah. the and the practices and everything yeah i mean okay. or the, the like the um because we do still trade with our neighbors we depend on our neighbors to provide us with the things that we don't and you're talking about a system that was very similar right yeah yeah so rather than the um like the the grease trail was a very um it was very structural to our 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 trade um economy okay you know what uh my our radio person is telling me it's time for a break so we'll be back after this talking about the grease trail (laughs) Your Prince George Council of Seniors is in a new location and it's time to celebrate. Stop by on Wednesday, April 26th between 1 and 3 to check out their new offices at 1330 5th Avenue during their grand opening. More information is available through their website, pgcos.ca. The grand opening event for your Prince George Council of Seniors, Wednesday, April 26th from 1 to 3 at 1330 5th Avenue. Serving, empowering, and advocating for Prince George Seniors since 
since 1990. The North Breast Passage Dragon Boat Team is open to all interested women, breast cancer survivors, and supporters as they prepare for another season. For fitness and friendship, the North Breast Passage members paddle their dragon boat from May to September, then socialize and train indoors from November to April. Join to take part in the final month of training before they hit the water in May. For more information on the Dragon Boat Society and details on becoming a member, visit NorthBreastPassage.com. Take a musical trip back to the 1950s with the Forever Young Chorus as they present Moments to Remember. Relive the memories Friday, May 5th at 7 or Sunday, May 7th at 2. Tickets are just $10, $5 for children under 12. Tickets are on sale at the ECRA office. Moments to remember from the Forever Young Chorus, Friday, May 5th and Sunday, May 7th, at the Elder Citizens Recreation Center on 10th between Vancouver and Winnipeg Streets. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today. Wind from the southeast at 30, gusting to 50 and a high of 10. Tonight, mainly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers this evening. Gusting southeast winds continuing, a low of 5. For Friday, mainly cloudy, with a 60% chance of showers in the afternoon and the risk of a thunderstorm. Wind from the southeast, switching to the southwest in the afternoon and a high of 11. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back talking with Josh Seymour. Uh, just, Josh, before our break, Josh was, was just beginning to say something about the Grease Trail. And uh, because we were talking about the chaos in the area and the structure of your society and how, like, you, you did trading with other communities in order to survive. So tell me a little bit about the Grease Trail. Uh, so the Grease Trail is a trail that ran from um, basically all the territory through all the territories in uh, northern British Columbia and throughout British Columbia from the coast where they would trade for um, ulican oil. Who would you trade with? Um, all the because the nations would trade with each other, it became kind of a a trade network. So um, at the coast, and that's at. Bella Coola, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, the, there's a there's a different name for the Grease Trail, but I, I don't remember it. I just okay. know it as the Grease Trail. Yeah. Um, and 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 what would happen is the the nations would trade with each other. Um, so, like looking back at a lot of the stories on effort, um, because we're at a confluence here between the trails as well as the rivers. Clayley Tanay was a, a a trade nation. So we trade with the um, the coastal people to get the ulican oil. We would trade first. Ulican is uh, the little fish, and they're they're very oily. Um, and the the oil that you get from it is high in vitamins, high in fats, high in amino acids. Okay, and so the ulican fish is from the ocean. Yeah. Okay, so that is that's why it's called a grease trail. Yeah, yeah, because of the, the they would get the ulican oil, so it was kind of that. The city okay. leave. There's so much ulican oil that came through. The the trail would have huh. would be like you know there'd be grease, I guess, on it, <laughs> or right. theoretically. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, but if if you look at you know millenniums of trading the oil, yeah. at some point you know there would be a, a development of understanding these trade networks and and looking at where we are here in this area, there is um, it's very hard to live in this this climate. Yeah. Um. So a lot of the the trade that we did do would be towards survival. So what yep. we would do is we would trade with the the people in the north for the stones and furs that we didn't have here. We would take what we need, build the tools that we had, and then the surplus that we had, we'd go trade with the people on the coast along with our furs and the stuff that we got from the territory here, the berries that they may, may not have on the coast for the ulkin oil. And then we'd take the ulkin oil and go trade it back to the people in the north for more stones and furs. And so clearly today was kind of like a, a trade... Um, a trade nation, uh, sort of a hub. Exactly. I mean, sort of 
kind of it, it hasn't changed hasn't right? really changed no because i was just thinking like i mean we talk a lot about uh and just with the development of hydro energy here and and talking about the fact that we're at the you know the, like we're the center of the rail system for the north and close to the ports all of that kind of stuff it's still gosh that's that's fa- fascinating so with the um so how how did you trade with the nations that are from the north through the Crooked River system? Yeah, yeah. So we would have um, went up the river, and they would have met us okay. um, at a, at a location. And and when we talk about trading, there's so much respect um, between our nations and the territories that if we didn't have permission to pass through, we wouldn't. And they would ask permission to pass through ours. And if they didn't have permission, they would either go around or they wouldn't go through at all. Um, and that was based out of a, a understanding that. Um, each nation uh, knows how to take care of their their land and their territory, and they understand what it needs and what it doesn't need. Oh gosh, and that brings us to land use <laughs> stuff, and and just thinking about, I, I mean, I, you know, and, and especially as we're talking about forestry and the and the decline of the forest industry, and it's like, I'm I'm guessing that where there were probably people who would have said, yeah, no, this is not going to work, people. You know, actually, going back to my, my great-uncle Ron, uh, yeah. he actually talked about this um, during our, our, our treaty discussions as when the pine beetle had actually reared its head and showed itself. And he said, I, I'm going to tell you this, we're going to have so many forest fires that we've never seen before because we've gotten so well at suppressing forest fires. Yep. Yep. And I remember I remember that question or that, that statement specifically because it was so confusing. Yeah. I'm like, we were going to have forest fires because we got good at suppressing forest fires. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. And I was like, yeah. how does that? He goes, we've put out the small fires before they're actually able to clear out. The stuff would, that needs to be cleared out. Which right? would have been burnt out. He goes, yeah. you're going to have 200 years of fire suppression of all this tinder that usually gets burnt anyways. Yeah. He goes, and then, you know, you have the pine beetle, which is going to dry out a lot of the forest and create a pathway for all this fire. And I, you know, and I, and I often think about like the time that, um, of, of Canada's colonization, it was a time when there was real faith, I think, in the ability of man to overcome nature, that man was the master of nature. And I think there were so many mistakes made because of that. And I think our forest policy was part of that uh, because you cannot... Like, yes, we can protect ourselves from nature because it all, like, especially in the middle of winter, you're thinking, okay, nature's trying to kill us. Um, but if you don't learn to work with it and, and, and understand the natural rhythms, because you are not going to stop the sun from revolving around the earth, you're not going to stop winter from coming. Like, there are natural ebbs and flows. And, and I think it was so unfortunate that so much of that language was lost and not respected, uh, because, Certainly in terms of forestry policy, if we would have had more respect for the fact that, okay, there are people here that have lived here for many, many years and they know the natural rhythms and and we need to take those into consideration as we develop forest policy. Yeah, and, and if we look at um, understanding that we are a part of nature, we're, mm-hmm. we're not above it, we're not, we're just a part of that, that grouping in nature and we have a role to play. Um and, and that kind of ties back to like the KO. Um, what I understand with my grandfather is that when you're out in the uh, the forest collecting, you don't collect more than you need. Yeah. I, uh, yes. Oh, sorry. I, and I sort of interrupted you. Um, I'll tell my little story. I went on a little um, foraging tour that some that a local Métis uh, gave me, and 
like I grew up in the I grew up in the north, and we would we were incredibly poor, and so we would go berry picking, yeah. and by. I mean, you, the idea was that you wanted, I mean, because we were so poor and we drove 45 miles, used a lot of gas to make this trip. It was usually we went once, maybe twice a year. And so there was a lot of pressure to collect a lot of fruit, right? And it was the Clayhurst area, uh, up in, up by, between just north of Dawson Creek, right? Mm-hmm. And which I discovered later, I, I met someone who actually grew up, a First Nations person who actually grew up in that area and they had, that's where they went to pick berries. And I was like, ah, oh, that's so neat. And, um, anyway, we, like by habit, you would end up picking mostly just the middle what the middle berries, right? And in this little foraging tour that I did, um, this Métis uh, woman told me that you there was this legend that you leave the bottom berries for the little fur fur bearers on the ground, and then the middle area area of the tree was for the humans to pick, and then the top was for the birds. Yeah. And is that something that you're familiar with? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's um, when we were picking, it would just become that that untold rule, right? We just understood that, uh, mostly because a lot of us couldn't reach the top. <laughs> I, know, I know, that's what I thought. <laughs> so, so it, it, again, if we're, um, like if you bring a ladder to go, you can take the top, but that's yes. extra work. So understanding yes. that we're only taking from the areas that we can reach, um, even that is just by nature. Um, Works we well. That, that level, right? And it keeps the balance. And, and understanding that when the animals come to eat the, the berries, like they need to eat too, but that also ensures the succession of those plants because a lot of the seeds within the berries need to go through a digestive tract to be replanted. And in order to replant them, you need an area that's clear. So if you had a fire that came through and you had berries eating berries, they would walk through those areas that were burnt out and their droppings would basically create a whole new berry patch. So understanding that even the fire plays a role within the the balance of nature, understanding that the animals play a role, birds as well, because they would fly for miles and where they would, you know, drop the seeds that they ate, um, it would actually activate the seeds for them to, to grow new berries. And, and, and seeing that as a, as a part of the sustainability that we need to, to play our role in, because we're seeing a lot of those natural, um, the, the laws of nature are coming back on us with a, a drought for one summer and a flood for the spring. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Well, it's time to uh, take a break. We'll be back after this. Whether you're downloading eBooks or need a hand with Microsoft Office programs, Tech Help is available at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. Get the most out of your computer, tablet, or other digital device by taking advantage of this free program offered Wednesdays from 2 to 4. Book a 30-minute appointment by calling 250-563-9251, extension 112, between 2 and 4. Tech Help, Wednesday afternoons at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. Be a part of your community's next great story and check out the Shaw Spotlight Information Session Monday, April 17th from 1230 to 2.30 p.m. at the Shaw Spotlight Studio, 2519 Queensway, where you can learn about volunteer opportunities at your local community TV station. RSVP by April 13th. Email shawspotlightnorthbc at sjrb.ca or phone 250-645-7504. The Zone 9 team for the 55-plus BC Games is hosting a spring kickoff dinner and dance Saturday, April 29th at the Legion. Enjoy a delicious buffet dinner and dance to the music of the Wranglers. Cost is $45, 20 for registered games participants. Completed registration forms can be submitted at the door. 
For tickets, call Linda at 778-349-9026. The Zone 9 55-plus BC Games Spring Kickoff Dinner and Dance, April 29th at the Legion. The Prince George Potter's Guild is presenting Hand Building Level 2, Thursday evenings from April 20th to May 25th. Expanding on skills learned in the beginner class, Hand Building Level 2 students will learn more about design considerations using hand slab construction, complex templates, and planning complementary textures and surface treatments. For registration and full details, visit the Potter's Guild page under Programs at Studio2880.com. Handbuilding Level 2, Thursday evenings from April 20th to May 25th from the Prince George Potter's Guild. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right. Well, as I suspected, this uh, hour is going very quickly. So this is our last segment. Um, so, I mean, we could talk for a long time. Uh, I am I'm told that you have some like, I mean, obviously, you working in the school system, you have an interest in the youth and you have interest in in seeing them thrive. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things maybe that you've got going on right now? Because you're not with the school district anymore, right? No, no. I'm with the uh, the, the museum as the assistant curator. And, and one of the projects I'm working on is actually uh, something called Gen Action. So it's, uh, it, it's through Environment um, Canada. And we're looking at how um, climate change aspects are affecting local um areas okay and and one of the areas that i see affecting here is the river because Mm we were on flood watch for one spring and then it was a drought for the summer and understand those influxes that severe to uh to the rivers that we rely on um isn't natural and and looking at how we are playing a role in that um and 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 people always think of when we think of um like deforestation that is man-made um, that we're cutting trees down and we're processing it. We're also not understanding that, again, when we go back to the fire suppression, that suppressing those fires, that should have cleared out some of the old growth um, because fire is a natural part of the cycle. Um, and we have lightning that would have caused the fires. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're disrupting that balance by putting the fires. And I'm not saying let the fires burn, but we also have to look at how do we live in a um, imbalance with uh, the surrounding nature that's around us without impacting it because it impacts us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like you said, like we don't want to let the forest fires burn our cities down or our homes down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you can't find a better way to manage the whole thing. So when you're talking about Gen Action, Gen Action? Gen Action, yeah. Okay. So what are some of the things that you're doing? Is it just, is it an education program at the museum or is it something that you're taking out? Uh, it's it's an education program that is um, meant to reach um, rural, northern, and indigenous communities. Um, but I, I, have an, I have an issue with those comments because I'm trying to... Like if you looked at Vancouver, or Toronto, Prince George's rural northern, and <laughs> yes. there's an indigenous population. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's kind of like looking at those definitions. So what we want to do is we approach the school district and we're working with them to develop uh, a platform that we can reach as many students as possible to bring this um, climate science to the, the school. And, and there's an indigenous component to it. But again, I don't believe in the two silos. So we're looking at how do we combine that climate science with that indigenous way of knowing so that we're interweaving it so they support one of another rather than being two separate silos. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that has been my, my goal for the last couple of months. And we're looking at how is it affecting us as a city? How is it affecting us as a region? How is it affecting us as a province and as a country? Um, and, and understanding that, like the fire suppression again, yeah. that we've played, um, 
we, we've been doing it for the last 50 years. We have. So now we have that 50 years that we have to rebalance. Yeah. Um, it's, it's all about, I guess, if we're looking at it from a business perspective is debts and, you know, they're looking at the, the credits and debts, right? We've, we've saved a lot of the forest by putting the fires out, but some of that forest should have burnt mm-hmm. because by now we'd have new growth there. And it's, it, it's part of that idea of moving past a resource, um, resource ex- extraction only like and more of a husband husbanding of the land or or whatever i mean there's got to be a different word for that but um taking care of the land long term instead of just seeing it as a as sort of oh here's a whole bunch of this we'll take it all and sell it and get rich and but realizing that no actually we're here to stay and you know some somebody has was talking about that recently is that um prince george is transitioning slowly uh, like among the non-indigenous community into a place that people move to, raise their children in, and grow old in. Mm. And uh, that maybe that'll have a change in perspective on how we operate our resources that we have. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, when we look at Prince George, it's kind of one of the last cities that kind of have that, that community base. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of the cities have the city as an identity, whereas our identity as a city is community. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, look at the uh, the fires that we had where, you know, Williams Lake was evacuated. Yeah. We came together as a city to help another um, town out mm-hmm. um, because we have those those old morals and understanding that we might need to rely on Williams Lake one day. And again, that goes back to that, it does. that KO teaching, right, that we rely on one another um, because at the end of the day, we're all the same people yeah. and we got to rely on one another to survive. And I think that, uh, like, I mean, for my part, I think the more and more that we know about First Nations history, um, the more you can bridge bridge those gaps. Because, I mean, anybody who is not Indigenous, we also have our own histories, right? And we know that we didn't survive or we fled because there was discontent and war and whatever happening. Um, And so we came here and but we all have those those shared stories and maybe not shared stories, but we all have. Those stories, yeah, the common struggle, and the common struggle, right? The common and, achievements, and we are here. And like a lot, I mean, one thing that I see, especially us being a northern city, is yes, we're the hub for the north, but like people always refer to, like we are beyond hope, <laughs> right? And so that whole relying on each other and knowing that we have to depend on each other, and like I, I mean, I've spent years living out in the bush and knowing that when you're, I mean, that we, I'm from Alberta, we called mm. it the bush. Uh, if you if there's somebody stopped by the side of the road, you don't just drive by. Yeah, you stop to check on them. Yeah, <laughs> right. And and that I think that's what makes us such an awesome community. And and understanding that, I think we got to change our perspective to understand that First Nations history and non-Indigenous history are the same thing. Yeah, because it's all of our histories. It's all of our histories, and we are here together. And well, thank you. Do you have any? We have thirty seconds. Do you have any wrap up comments that you'd like people to hear? No, no, I, I um, just want to thank you for your time and thank you for having me on the show. Well, it's been it's, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I just wish you every success as you uh, work at the museum especially and uh, and for your band, of course. Um, take care and thank you very much for listening today. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with the uh, After 9 political panel hosted by Andreas Krebs and beginning tomorrow at 9 o'clock. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. 
Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. This is Community Radio 93.1 CFISFM, proudly supported by Prince George businesses like Copar Administration.